Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for joining me today. Great to have you along. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Vanessa Yudelman. Vanessa is president of Mosaic People Development, which is a very cool leadership consulting and coaching business. And so we'll dive into that in a minute. But firstly, Vanessa, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Ben. Great to be here. Yeah, good to have you. And whereabouts are you based? I am based in Toronto, Canada. Very nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. So yeah, I love the area of leadership coaching and, you know, developing a people, but the leadership just, I've always loved that saying, you know, the fish rots from the head. So unless you sort out the leadership, everything else just sort of falls to pieces. So it's a great area you've chosen to specialize in and help organizations in. So let's start with Mosaic People Development, and then we can have a look at your background and so on. But just tell us, yeah, what is Mosaic People Development? What does it do? For sure. Well, I don't talk about fish and heads, but I talk about leaders being the glue. Uh, um, that holds an organization and a team together. So that's what we do. We develop leaders. So we do that in two ways. We do training. So I have an eight module leadership program. One of the things when I started my business 12 years ago, Ben, one of the things I did was I really looked at what makes learning stick? Because I've been working in consulting for many years and I ran an organizational development and learning department in an organization for five years. And I really looked at what makes learning stick and how can we get people to change behavior. So I created this eight module program called Mastering Leadership. And so I take leaders on an eight month journey and there's homework in between and they learn a ton about leadership. So they really do evolve. They really do build their confidence throughout the program. So that was really one of my goals is to create a program that was sustainable and really create a behavioral change. So that's one part of the business. The other part of the business is executive coaching. I do one-on-one coaching as well. And then the HR field is so diverse. So one of the things that I had to do when I started my business is really focus on what I love to do. Because I do a lot of other things like strategic planning and team building, but I always lead with leadership because that's what I love to do. Because, you know, leaders make or break people's experience at work. And so that's why I love to work with leaders. Yeah. How did you work out that leadership is what you love to do? Is it you just sort of reflect on the projects you've done over the years or you looked over your CV and thought, oh, I remember doing this job and this task and you'd notice leadership rose to the fore because you do so much. Yeah. How do you notice that that's what you love? It was just over the years working with leaders and really understanding that good leadership matters. And I had to unfortunately learn that the hard way because I had a very, very bad experience with a leader once in my career. Most of my career, I've been very lucky. I've had tremendous leaders, but I was on my second maternity leave. And while I was on the maternity leave, a new leader came into the organization. And when I came back from my maternity leave, she changed everything and really made my life quite hellish. And I'd never experienced that before. And I'm a very optimistic person. So when I was coaching people before, I would always say to them, you'll find a way to work it out. And I'm sure if you have a crucial conversation with them, you'll work it out, you know? And I realized, sorry, that doesn't always happen. Uh I left Pollyanna hood and I was faced with the reality. It was pretty harsh. And so it was really that experience that made me realize 
how much leadership matters because I went from a high performer in my organization, someone who'd worked there for five years, who loved their job, who's fully engaged to someone who was outright disengaged mm. and depressed. And I didn't want to come to work in a matter of five months. And the only thing that changed was same job, same person, same company. The only thing that changed was my leader. Yeah. I think probably everyone has a story like that or a situation they've seen a great friend of mine a long time ago. I remember him telling me about this experience. Great performer, loved his job, doing so well, promotions. New manager comes in and then, as you say, turns to hell. But this conversation he shared with me was he was being scolded by her. And she said, I want you to stop drinking coffee before meetings because he always give me coffee breath. And then he just reacted with, well, could you stop eating garlic for lunch? And then I just knew, no, he's not staying there for long. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's not easy working for a control freak. You know, it's not easy working for someone who doesn't treat you with respect. Yeah, I was passionate about leadership before then, but then that really solidified my passion for working with leaders because I realized they make or break people's experience at work. And we all know, we've read the quote, right? People leave managers, not companies. Like that's oh, a yeah. fact. The data proves that fact. But as we're sitting here sort of sharing war stories or whatever, it does get me thinking that leadership is not just around the one-to-one, let's make you a better manager, better leader. But it's also for that senior group. It's also about how to bring in the right people and coach them in the right way and create the right culture because otherwise they just hire the wrong person and everything just falls over again. So it's about getting that structure in the culture so that the wrong person doesn't fit there, in fact. Is that right? Yeah. There's that famous quote, I think it's Peter Drucker, which says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. And so to your point, culture is everything. It's interesting within the HR world today because so many HR leaders and executives are struggling with creating a culture in a world that is hybrid. How do you do that and maintain a culture and develop a culture? So yeah, when culture is strategy for breakfast, how do you do that in our new hybrid world? It's a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. I remember being involved in a turnaround project. And so I was going around to different branches or offices of an international company. And it was just fascinating to see certain locations doing well and others doing not well. And they were selling the same staff, same sort of markets, all that kind of stuff. But it was just the leadership that was, I think, creating a success or a failure in each different business unit. It was fascinating to watch. A hundred percent. And that's why I love working with leaders because the impact they have on the business. I mean, what is a business? It's people. And so if you have someone at the top, if you have leaders, a group of leaders who really understands how to manage change, how to leverage their people through change. You know, one of my favorite topics is change management because when I work with leaders, because Every leader needs to lead and manage change, but most leaders are never taught how to do that. And most of change is, especially when 70% of change initiatives fail, most of change is understanding the barriers to change. You know, I read this very interesting book by two INSEAD professors called It Starts With One. And they talk about the three barriers for change. And the first one being C, the second move and the third finish. And it's all about understanding people's mindset. If people don't see the need for change, that's resistance and barrier number one, right? Then they may not move. Okay, fine. I see the need to use this new system or, you know, change the org structure or whatever it is, but I'm just not moving. And then the third one is finish. And so, for example, it's really important for leaders to understand the barriers to change and how to communicate at least even that very first barrier to change, which is see the need to move. So it is really important for leaders to understand 
how to build a culture and how to leverage their people. But one of the biggest problems that I see in organizations is that most leaders are promoted into leadership positions without any training, without any coaching, without any knowledge of, you know, they're expected to deliver at a very high level. They're expected to give performance reviews and set up one-on-ones and build a high-performing team and manage change and, and have crucial conversations, but they're never taught to have any of those things, right? In one of my training programs last week, one of the leaders said to me, Vanessa, can I ask a really dumb question? I said, you know, there's no dumb questions <laughs> and now go ahead. And she said to me, we have this culture where we have to have one-on-ones. I don't even know what to have. Like, what do I need an agenda? Like, what am I supposed to do in these one-on-ones? Right? So even a culture, no which is very open and really focuses on something empowering, like one-on-one. So leaders are like, how do I do that? <laughs> You mentioned that you developed a sort of, I think it was an eight module leadership program. And if you walk into any bookstore, if they still exist, I don't know, the leadership section is huge of books everywhere. And there's so much content you've experienced so much. Everyone's experienced so much in their work. Like, how did you work out what to put in there and what to leave out? When I wrote my book? No, I mean the actual program. Oh, the, in the, the program. Yeah, program. yeah. Oh, that's a good question. So what I did is I started with all of the needs analysis that I'd done over the years. Okay. And I went through all of my coaching notes for my coaching clients. And I literally used the data to show me where to go with the program wow. because I started putting themes up on my wall in my office. And I looked at, okay, what are the themes? What are themes across industry, government, non-for-profit, for-profit that leaders struggle with? And when I looked at all the data, I sort of took all these stickies and then I posted them in groups. I realized that regardless of industry, leaders need three things. And these three things became the pillars of my e-module program. The first pillar is know yourself. The second is manage your team. And the third is lead your business. And so I realized when so many leaders don't have any leadership training, when they're promoted into these roles, I really wanted to break it down for them and simplify leadership because it's so complex. There's so many facets of leadership. And that's why a lot of leaders struggle. People new to leadership struggle because it's new, but I see people 10, 15 years into leadership who are still struggling. And so that's what I did. That's how I created the program, Ben, is really around those three pillars. That's very clever. I love that using the data because so many people would create a program based on what they think should go in and not consider talking to people or running it past people or using some method. You actually had data from all your coachings and your coaching notes and so on. So you incorporated that. So that's a really, really clever way to do it. Can I turn to something from your own background? So you came out of the corporate world. I think you were in the financial services sector at one point. You sort of took the step towards going into business for yourself. What was that moment like? Was that a scary decision to leave the safety of the corporate net, let's say, or, you know, what was going through your mind? Well, I was kind of unlucky slash lucky in that the leader that I told you about when I came back from my maternity leave made my life so miserable Uh, that I just have to leave. It was a soul sucking experience. And so while I was going through a lot of turmoil with that leader, I called a friend of mine who's a labor lawyer and I said, help, I got to get out. So he walked me through how to ask for a package. I'd never had to have that experience in my life. So 
he said, you know, why don't you go to your old boss who you really love and kind of plant the seed with her? And that's exactly what I did. And she loved me. I loved her, just adored her. We had a great relationship. She kind of finagled behind the scenes, a bit of a, a package. And so I was really lucky because I had a little bit of money, which gave me just a safety net then yeah. so I could start my own business. So that's what I used to start my own business. So yes, it was a little bit scary, but I was ready. My plan was always to start my own business. And I had been working in consulting for 10 years before I moved in house. When I moved in house, I thought, you know, if I'm going to really dig deep into leadership and train leaders, I have to be a leadership myself. I can't go from being a consultant to telling leaders what to do unless I've experienced leadership myself and run a team and really understood the operational side of business. So that's what I did when I moved in house. So I was lucky because I had that safety net. And yeah. so I was prepared. And I also, you know, I tell people starting out these days, I say like, go into the corporate world before you start your own business, because you're going to learn so much. <laughs> like just consider it free learning. Yeah. Actually, you get paid to learn. It's not even free. You get paid to learn. So the route that I took, it wasn't by choice, but I think it's a great way to do it. It's funny. You're not the first person I've heard say that they went through a similar path, whether it be retrenchment or redundancy, something like that. And then also people have won business from their old employers. And in some cases, they've won business before they've even left. So a case in point, you had a, I don't know, was it a boss's boss? So your old manager, let's say, who trusted and got on well with in a similar situation elsewhere. Yeah, they said, look, I'm planning to go out. I'm honestly, I'm just letting you know that my plan is to go out and to launch my own business. And then they actually won business from that. So it's great that you got that advice from your labor lawyer friend. It obviously turned out so well. And it has turned out well. And you're running leadership coaching programs. You've got the one-to-one stuff happening, executive coaching. There's a lot going on. Who are your ideal clients? For instance, for people listening to this, and they thought, oh, wow, I could refer Vanessa some business. Who would be your ideal clients? Yeah. So it's anybody who's responsible for developing leaders in the business. So very often it's the EVP of HR, anybody in the L&D function in HR, I often work with, but it's from an HR perspective, that person in the business that's responsible for developing leaders. Often I will also be referred to line managers as well. I'll have someone come to me and say, you know, I got referred by a friend of mine who took your course and I know I need to develop myself. So it can be somebody who's in management themselves and is looking to grow themselves. And sometimes they will refer me to HR. It depends on the size of the business too. But I would say my key stakeholder mainly is the EVP, SVP of HR. Got it. So that's going to be company headcount of 5,000 plus realistically. Well, 200 plus actually. I have a couple of clients who are 200 plus. Usually my cohorts can be anywhere from 10 to 15 leaders. Nice. And I work with a lot of tech companies because, you know, they've had so much rapid growth. People come into the organization fairly young and they get promoted into leadership roles fairly early on in their career. Yeah. And I just love working with those leaders. Yeah. And when you went in-house, because you've been consulting before that, but when you went in-house, you didn't have to do the sales and marketing stuff. But beforehand, you know, probably in a bigger consulting firm, you had to do some business development as expected of any consultant. But when you went on your own, launch your own business, that was front and center. So what were some things that worked and didn't work either then and or now to help with the sales and marketing side of your business? Well, I have to say I love sales. Oh, good. I've never had an issue with sales. I mean, what I learned working in consulting for 10 years is how to ask for business. And my approach has always been 
just have a conversation with someone. Like, hey, what's going on with you? What's keeping you up right now? Like, just go in super curious. That to me is a sales meeting. And then really listening, like talking less, listening more, understanding their needs. And then I always customize my proposals based on that. Here's what I heard you say. And here's what I recommend in terms of next steps. So that's sales and really listening and understanding people's needs. The other part of sales that I've always known to be really important, it's follow-up. And I think a lot of people miss out on that step. I have a spreadsheet. Okay, this is like a little trade secret for you then. <laughs> I have a little Excel spreadsheet that I have. And every time I get somebody call or email or ask for a proposal, goes on the little spreadsheet. And then Friday is my day to work in the business, that work on the business, not in the business, work on the business. Fridays, I open up the sheet and I follow up. Who haven't I reached out to this week? And yeah. who do I need to follow up with? And I think that's a huge part of sales. So I don't find it that challenging, to be honest. That's smart. Yeah. If someone listening to this uses proposal software, you can just refer back to your software and see which proposals have gone out, which have not been replied to or whatever. But yeah, that's excellent advice. And it's just going in, listening, curiosity, asking some good questions, and then shaping the proposal around what they need rather than just the cookie cutter Here's the thing that I always do and here you must have it and make sure it's shaped to what they need. On the marketing side, you do a lot of great stuff. I've seen, you know, on the videos, the podcasts, there's content, you've got blog articles and resources and stuff. Do you find that that works? Is this stuff that works better than other things? What do you see? What I have always done is do stuff I enjoy. It's funny because I get a lot of people who call me who are interested in opening up their own business you have to wear a lot of hats. And if that's not something you enjoy, entrepreneurship may not be for you. So I do enjoy wearing a lot of hats, yet you still have to be focused, right? Mm -hmm. So I was an English major in university. I love to write. I've written a blog every week for five, six, seven, eight years. So that's leveraging. It's easy for me. In fact, what I do is often then when I'm on a call with a coaching client and they ask me a really interesting question, or we talk about something really interesting, I'll write a little blog about it right then and there. So I've kind of got a system in place to do that. Of course, it's confidential. I never mention names. Yeah. I'll give you an example of an actual situation, a conversation I had with a client right now. One of my clients works for an accounting firm and he wants to become a partner. So he said to me, Vanessa, can you help me? How do I ask my boss for a promotion? Like, how do I have that conversation with my boss to move into a partnership role? So that's what we talked about. So that's what I'm blogging about this week. Because I figure if he's wanting to know how to ask for promotion, there's got to be a lot of other people out there who want yeah, to ask yeah. for promotion as well. I love it. I love so it. I always say to people with marketing, do what you enjoy doing, but do it consistently. Have mm. a system, a process in place. And the second thing is I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. So I have someone on my team who takes all my blogs. She does a schedule for me once a month. She'll put everything on an Excel spreadsheet that's going to be posted I go through it. I make sure that everything's copacetic and to my standards and it's all my content. And then she makes it pretty impulsive for me. I don't like doing that. I'm not good at it. So that's also the advantage of running your own business. It can really think about, wait, what do I love to do? What am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? And what do I need to outsource to really leverage my time properly? That's very clever. Yeah, I was going to ask, you mentioned you focus on the stuff you're good at and that you enjoy. And what was the stuff you didn't like? It's that graphic design and the scheduling. And is that the stuff you don't enjoy? Oh, yeah. I don't enjoy going through like 
all of the content and yeah. pulling it out and putting on an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'd rather pull out my hair. No, not my leverage strength yeah. at all. Like I'm a very fast paced, fast moving person. And nice. no, no. And Ashley on my team is amazing at that. And she loves it. And she's so creative. I'm always like, wow, where did you pull that from? That's terrific, right? That's brilliant. I love so that. she's just really good at what she does. It's a nice combination. The thing you mentioned about having a coaching call and then a light bulb pops up in your brain, you think, oh, I could use that for an article. So then afterwards you write out a blog article, it's anonymous, etc. but it's very, very useful. That's a really good lesson for people listening is that there are all sorts of learnings and tips and advice that you can share with people, for instance, on LinkedIn, let's say, and you see that all the time. But what you've done is even better because it's in the context of you doing consulting work, you doing coaching work, which subtly or implicitly suggests you could be doing that for them as well, the reader. So yes, here's some advice and here's how to do stuff to improve your working life, your leadership style. But here's an example of how I helped another person like you do that. And in their brain, they're probably thinking, wow, wow, Vanessa could probably help me with this too. So for people listening, it's a great approach to take. That's an excellent point. I think you're right. I think if anyone's listening and they want to be seen as a subject matter expert, write about what you know. Or if you don't like writing, videotape yourself talking about what you know. Yeah. Share your expertise, whatever expertise you're sharing with your clients, share on LinkedIn. Yeah. So I just set up a little Google form and I have the link to it saved on my phone because, you know, ideas pop into your brain anytime. And so that way, if I'm stuck in traffic and something pops into my mind, I can just put in a one line about that story. For instance, one I must do at some point, there was a rock and roll band, a wedding band that I discovered. They play three different gigs on the same night at the same time because they franchised their own band because they were so successful as a wedding band. Everyone loved them because they had a certain act and everything. So they've just gone and hired other musicians, given them the name, same approach and everything. And now they've you know tripled their revenue from one little band. It's just fascinating. So it's an example of a business model, but yeah, stuck in traffic, stick that into my notes. That'll become an article at some point. But I love the fact you've had these ideas, you've structured them, but also you've done it every week for years. So yeah, well done to you. Well, I think one of the things of running a successful business for 12 years is having systems in place. Before I started my business, I was a very spontaneous person, but I learned pretty quickly that if I put structure in place, I will follow up. So I know I have to have a blog out on Friday. Come Wednesday, if I don't haven't started writing, that's my trigger right? What have I talked about this week? Who have I talked to this week? What have I read that's interesting this week? There's always something. Putting that structure in place, like basically Thursday at noon is my deadline. It's the muscle memory kicking in. Yeah. It's the structure that you put in place and that helps me follow through. Absolutely. Brilliant. So for people listening to this who are trying to improve their own leadership styles, if they're running an organization, so running an HR related business, Sometimes, as you said, you're wearing many hats and it can be difficult to focus on all the different things. But one of those elements has to be improving your own leadership style for the team you've got. What's your advice for those sort of people? I love to start with an assessment because I think we all have different leadership styles. I don't know if you know the DISC profile. Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with the DISC? Yeah. So I was doing a workshop with a group this morning. We were talking about the DISC profile. 
And it was a very diverse group, you know, D's who are dominant, you had I's who are influencers, C's who are conscientious, S who are studies. It was a really nice, diverse group in terms of work style. And somebody said to me, like, what do you think is the best work style as a leader? And, you know, and I said, actually, any work style can be an amazing leader. It's about understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. And that's what I always say to people, like, start with yourself at that first pillar. Know yourself. Know what you're good at. Know what your strengths are. Know what your weaknesses are. And I use the terminology, dial things up and down. Because I don't want people to change who they are. I want people to be the most authentic version of themselves. And so how do you do that? You have to know what your strengths are. You also have to know how your strengths, when you overuse them, become weaknesses. So for example, if you're very analytical, it's great to be analytical. You're detail-oriented. You're logical. You focus on facts and information and data. But when you overuse that analytical side, you move into analysis paralysis. So that's what I would say to people. like Understand where... Do you overuse your strengths and how do you need to, for example, dial down your analysis paralysis and dial up your quick decision-making? Right. So be adaptable, be flexible to those different situations. Exactly. Right. Very good. So you've created a wonderful business. You've got so much information, videos, articles, et cetera, and people may not know what to do next. So if someone wants to learn about you, what you do and your business and your leadership coaching and consulting business, what should they do next? You can definitely follow me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. If you want to read my blog, my client this morning was talking about it. She told her whole team to sign up for the blog. She said, I read it every single Friday. It's really quick. It's five minutes and it keeps me learning and growing. So if anyone's interested in that, go to my website, Mosaic People Development or mosaicpd.com and you can sign up for my blog. But I've also created a really nice resource page, which is yourleadershipresources.com. And I put together some of my favorite blogs and some of my favorite podcasts and just some free resources for people to learn a little bit more about leadership. So if that's helpful as well, feel free to head over to yourleadershipresources.com. Yourleadershipresources.com. Brilliant. We'll have the links to your LinkedIn, the mosaicpd.com website and then yourleadershipresources.com in the show notes. But uh, otherwise, you've shared some great advice and unfortunately some war stories too for you <laughs> from your history. But you've got through it, you're shining through, and you've turned the corner and created a great business. So you know, thanks for sharing and congratulations for all you've done so far. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much. That would be another great podcast, Ben, people sharing their war stories. I'm sure people have a lot of great war stories in the corporate world to share. I would listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks. Wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.